Come on, somebody. How are we doing this morning, Bay Hills? Hey, I'm so very glad to be with you. My name is Pastor Carl. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if this is your first time joining us, thank you so much for choosing uh, to worship with us today. We're glad that you are here. Um, man, I'm always pumped to preach on Super Bowl Sunday because, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And Super Bowl's always good. It's a good. It is a good day, man. It's, it's uh, you get you get to have weird strangers in your house eating your food, people yelling, people asking dumb questions about football. And my daughter asked me last night. She's like, "Dad, tomorrow during the game, can you explain to me all the rules of football?" I said, "Yeah, I guess. I don't know." We'll see, but what 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 a, what, a, what a good time of fellowship! I do. I, I pray that today uh, you, you do. You have some folks inside your home, and you fellowship together, and you hang out, and um, and just just feel the joy of the Lord today as as you celebrate your your teams and just time together. Can we go to the Lord before uh, we begin? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for my friends. I thank you so much for fellowship. I thank you so much for a church that is committed to reaching those far from you. And Father God, wherever folks might find themselves this morning, I pray that you would meet them there, that you would meet them in the midst, in the muck, in the mire, that you would remind them who they are and who you are. I pray, Jesus, in your holy name. And all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. amen. You know, coming up with this series a couple months ago, it just jumped out at me because Anxiety is something that is just real. Anxiety is something that is is active in so many of our lives, and um, and you know today I don't want to approach this. I know there there are folks that deal with this from a um, neurological level, and you're seeing counselors and therapists. I don't want to approach it from there, um, knowing that all those things are very good. But really approaching this topic from the spiritual uh, perspective uh, of what it means to truly be anxious for nothing. And that's hard to, to be anxious for nothing. Because our, our world is riddled with anxious-filled situations. I, I found myself in one just recently when my wife told me to go to the store, right? Guys, like, what? Like, okay, what do I, you know, and it's like always like this thing, do you want me to go to the store? I got to get this list together. And, and I'm like, and she's like, this is an easy trip. And I go, okay. And he's like, I just want you to go get some toothpaste. Get some toothpaste for the kids. My kids use two different toothpaste because they're bougie, right? And I go, okay. So I go to the store. And I walk down the aisle at Target. Why are there so many different kinds of toothpaste? It, it, is, it is truly overwhelming. I did some research and found out that the average store carries 352 types, sizes, and brands of toothpaste. That's like a thing of toothpaste for every day of the year. This is insanity. And it it led me to to our first point of, in life, we often have too many choices. We just have too many choices and we find ourselves in these situations where it's like, I just want Crest, right? I just want the one that says toothpaste. That's all I'm looking for. 
But there's all these varieties and all these different things and it gets our headspace and our heart space all out of whack. And what happens typically when you're thrown a lot of options is the analysis of what is the right thing to choose. And when we get in those situations where it's like, I got to decide what the right thing to choose is, oftentimes this, this kind of crippling fear will, will take over on us. We're at lunch yesterday, and we're ordering lunch, and then my five-year-old, it's time for her to order lunch, and she doesn't know how to read yet really well, so it's like we got to read to her the options for lunch. And there are five options on the kids' menu, so we go down, boom, 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 boom. And after we read the fifth option, Ruby burst into tears. Because she's like, too many choices. Mind is on overload. You know, brain comes oozing out of her ear. It's like, it's craziness. And she's like all of us. And maybe in a more mature way, but we're afraid of making costly mistakes. When it comes to decisions that we're facing, we're often afraid of making costly mistakes, so we find ourselves up at night with this weight of anxiety on us. Maybe it's not toothpaste or what to order for lunch, but it's whether or not to stay at your present job or take a new job. Whether or not to reconcile with your husband or reconcile with your wife. Maybe it's, do we put mom into the senior living care now that dad has passed away? Do I pick up the phone and call my estranged son or daughter? Do I ask for forgiveness? And the weight of it just lays heavy upon us. And then we experience paralysis by analysis. Because I keep thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking, and because I can't make it right in my headspace and my heart space, I just don't do anything. And many of you are sitting here this morning, and you are stressed and stuck. The title of our message You are stressed and stuck. Because the idea of making one more decision that might turn out right, but might turn out wrong, is too much to take. And this overwhelming sense of fear and anxiety has got you all bound up. But then the Apostle Paul, who has been through a litany of different situations in his life as we see recorded in Scripture. He writes this letter to the church in Philippi. And and these three verses, seemingly probably the second most three famous verses in Scripture after John 3, 16. They're on cups, they're on people's, you know, walls in their homes. And it's these beautiful words, but, but we don't really know like where Paul was writing this from. Because it, it's easy to say these words 
But understanding Paul's context will really give us a deeper perspective into why he was saying these words. See, Paul is in jail when he's writing, these, when he's writing this letter to the church in um, Philippi. He's in jail in Rome. He's on house arrest. But not like regular house arrest like your weird uncle is. Like he's in like real house arrest. He's literally chained to a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Roman guard, 24 hours a day. He's chained to this man for two years. They go in different shifts, these men. They go in different shifts, but he's constantly chained to them. And it's not only that he's chained to this Roman guard, but also there's the potential of Paul being executed. So he's waiting in house arrest, chained to, this, chained to this Roman guard, and the potential of him being killed is right around the corner. For two years, Paul is in this situation. Paul is in this circumstance. And so when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi, a church that he had helped plant, what does Paul say to them? Read with me in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Pause. Paul's chained to a Roman centurion, and he is going to potentially be killed. He's writing a letter to his friends in Philippi, and what does he tell them? Rejoice in the Lord, always. If you hear me again, I'm going to say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs this word right here. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And our key verse for this morning, and the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Listen to me, friends. When it's on a coffee cup, when it's on a coaster, when it's on a picture frame in your hallway, it's one thing. But when you are stuck in life, when you are stressed in life, when you are overcome with fear, worry, and anxiety, and you feel trapped, you feel chained, you feel like death would be a better verdict than taking another breath. Hear these words once more. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, all situations, all circumstances, all difficulties, all shortcomings, all doubts, all hurts, all burdens will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Not coming as words of flattery, not coming as empty Christianese from a Brother in chains, 
would we rejoice? Would we seek and find the peace of God that transcends all understanding? Paul's advice to us when we find ourselves in stressed and stuck situations, difficult to make the decisions of what to do next rather than being anxious, that we wouldn't complicate it. Look at me in the eyes, my friends. Don't complicate this thing. I'm I'm sitting here as I prep this message and I'm like, golly, this message just seems too simple. It seems just too simple. Like it should be like it should be more like theological and 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 it's got to have these words in it and I got to do the Greek and I got I got to let them know that I know something and I got to just give them like some deep stuff to think about. So after church, you're like, oh, Pastor Carl, that's a great word. You got my mind up in a pretzel, right? <laughs> but then I was like, no, keep it simple, stupid. Come on, somebody, listen, these are, these are tried and true words, and there's a simplicity in it, and there's a beauty in the simplicity, and if we would latch on to it, Paul says, don't complicate this. But you know what complicates the peace that God wants to offer you and I? What complicates it is us. What complicates it is us. And the bozos that we choose to allow in our lives. Listen, I'm not above having bozos in my life. But when I am listening to the wrong people, the wrong voices, who have the wrong values, it will lead me to making wrong decisions. I'm going to say that again because that's good. When I'm listening to the wrong people, wrong voices, who have the wrong values, it leads to me making the wrong decisions in my life. Some of you are like, how did I get here? Look around you. I don't understand how I'm in debt. Look around you. Are there people that are supporting that? Are there people that are encouraging? I don't understand how I don't have a job. Are you at your friend's house playing video games while the rest of us are working? I don't understand why I can't find a husband. Are you on the phone complaining to your girlfriend rather than being in a small group where you can meet all types of eligible bachelors? That was, that was funny. I don't know what's wrong with you. That was funny. It's hilarious. Look, some of the ladies like, yeah, that's right. I'm in that small group. Come on, God, get with it, right? Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, there's a way that seems right to you and I. And that way will often be encouraged by the wrong voices, the wrong people with the wrong values. And it leads to death. It leads to less than what God wants to give us, which is life. But the early church in Acts, Luke writes this. When they were faced on making a decision, a decision on who to send out on mission with Paul and Barnabas, look at the different approach that the first century early church fathers took. They wrote, they write, Luke writes this in Luke 15, verses 22, 25, and 28. He says this. 
Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church, circle, whole church, to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, verse 25. It seemed good or seemed right to us, having become, circle this, one mind, to select men to send with you our beloved Barnabas and Paul, verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit, circle that, and to us to lay upon you no greater burdens than these essentials. In a situation, a, a decision-making situation that would have been, uh, excuse me, that would have been filled with stress and would have left some stuck. The early church fathers, they say, it's about the whole church, it's about one mind, and it's about one spirit. When I find myself stuck, when I find myself stressed, rather than taking on all the pressures and allowing myself to become anxious, I would surround myself with the church in one mind, with one spirit. Paul is attached to a Roman centurion in arrest. And Paul offers us the keys to peace. Paul in this passage offers us the keys to peace. And Paul says it is peace and peace alone that will free you from the cold sweats, the beating heart, the racing thoughts. And this peace that God wants to offer you is a peace that will surpass all understanding. Not just your understanding, but all understanding. That when people would see you walking through that season, walking through that circumstance, walking through that situation, that they would say, what is going on with you? You were walking light. And you'll say, I have the keys to peace. Three keys to peace. Number one. Searching his word. Searching his word. In the mid-1800s, early 1900s, uh, mountaineers began to really jump into this, like climbing the Swiss Alps and, and traversing these mountain ranges. Uh, but what began to happen was people were dying. Mountaineers were dying because ropes weren't strong enough. Ropes weren't like, there wasn't a standardized kind of rope for climbing these mountains. So the Alpine Club out of England, they, they come together and one of the men develops the rope, the rope that's the standard rope for climbing these Swiss Alps. And, and, and this three-threaded rope that, that, that is like rot-proof and is super strong becomes the standard. But then other manufacturers start to manufacture ropes that look like it. And then people were still dying. So the Alpine Club in England, they, they put in their rope a red thread that would go through the entire rope. So when you saw the rope, you would look for the red thread and you would know that this, red, this rope was certified and it was strong enough for whatever mountain you might face. Come on, somebody. When we search his word, keep it simple. Many of us are looking for advice. Many of us are looking for answers where right here in God's word. 
We got the red thread going all through Scripture. Literal red thread going through Scripture. The words of Jesus. When you find yourself in a situation where you're not certain what to do, open up God's word and search his scripture. Carl, I don't understand what these parables and these ancient stories are going to tell me about the current situation I'm in. Here's what they're going to tell you. They're going to tell you that Jesus knows what it's like to be you. Understand this. The three and a half years, the three and a half years that are recorded of the life of Jesus in scripture. It's to show the kingdom of God that is to come, but it is also to show the humanity of Christ. That there is nothing that you've ever gone through or ever will go through that Jesus doesn't understand what it's like to be you. No, no, Carl, Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be me. I live in 2000, what's, what year is it? 2020. I live in 2020 in the East Bay. Jesus doesn't know what it's like. Jesus knows what it's like to be in want. Jesus knows what it's like to lose friends. Jesus knows what it's like to be far from home. Jesus knows what it's like to be without. Jesus knows what it's like to have joy. Jesus knows what it's like to have sorrow. We we get it twisted sometimes. We think it was always, you know, fat little baby angels flying around Jesus all the time. No, Jesus was walking in the first century world amongst the muck and the mire. He was walking amongst regular people, blue-collar workers, Farmers, stone builders, these were Jesus' people. Jesus isn't up in the fancy places like Walnut Creek. Come on, somebody. Jesus is in the Iron Triangle hanging out. Jesus, this, this is where he's at. And, he, he, and, he, and, and it's recorded so that thousands of years later we would go, oh, he knows what it's like to be me. He knows what it's like to be in my situation. So when I'm trying to make a decision, instead of trying to pull it off on my own, why don't I open up God's word and read the red letters? Read the red letters. Watch what Jesus said when he faced a certain situation. Watch how Jesus reacts when he loses. Come on. Sometimes we try to be strong. You lose somebody who's dear to you and you try to be strong. Come on, men, look at me in the eye. Stop trying to be strong. Show some vulnerability. Jesus loses his best friend, Lazarus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus weeps. He weeps. Oh, Jesus was just, he was just, he was a nice little Jesus. He was blonde hair, blue-eyed Jesus, just walking around with his purple sash on, like, oh, everybody, hello. (laughs) Wrong. Jesus walks into the temple, and he sees people taking advantage of other people. And Jesus gets indignant and starts throwing tables, whooping people. Jesus wasn't, we we think Jesus is soft. Not my Jesus. Listen, not my Jesus. My Jesus was walking in and up of Jerusalem, just busting people up in the head when they didn't get it right. This is Jesus saying, I know what it's like to be you. Search my word, find my truth. That's the peace that you'll receive in this word. Some of you, some of us, we're, we're calling friends. We're emailing. We're, 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 we're taking notes. We're, we're just, you know, fretting, 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 fretting. Open up his word. Open his word. Just read the red letters. letters. Don't read anything else. Find a Bible that has red letters in it and just read those. Before you make your next decision, 
I would be shocked if you don't hear Jesus speak very clearly to you. Number two, seeking his heart. Seeking his heart. You see, peace is a byproduct of trust, obedience, and dependence. Peace is a byproduct of trust, obedience, and dependence. I'm not going to have peace if I don't trust Jesus, if I don't obey Jesus, and if I'm not dependent on Jesus. The peace that surpasses all understanding, it's hinged to those three things. Do I trust him enough to let him be God? I read something just two days ago by uh, Joyce Meyer where she says, relax and let God be God. Some of y'all make terrible gods. You make terrible gods. Relax and let God be God. Trust him. Are you obedient to him? If he tells you to do something, just do it. Just do it. Test him. Test him and see what happens. And are you are you dependent on Jesus? Are you dependent on him? When we seek God's heart, our dependence falls on him. I think of the passage in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary, and take my yoke, for my burden is, for, take, and take, take on, my burden is easy, and my yoke is light. Jesus is, is talking to people in an agrarian world, so they would have understood the yoke was a, a, a piece of wood that would go along the necks of two animals. And those animals would plow a field with that yoke, that wooden yoke on them, and it would keep them from going in different directions. I've always read that scripture as, okay, Jesus, I take your yoke upon me, so I just take your yoke. You take it off you, you put it on me, and now it's lighter, Jesus, because you're Jesus, and now I can go because you're Jesus. But Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I'm looking for dependence. I don't take the yoke off of myself, Jesus is telling us. I put you underneath the same yoke. You take off your yoke. You come underneath my yoke. And now the weight is on me and the direction is on me. Because listen, one animal can't go this way and one animal go that way and the field gets plowed. It's like, we got to go this way so Jesus can gently nudge me in the correct direction because I am a yoke to him. You're missing peace because Jesus is going that way and you're going that way. But when I seek the heart of Christ, we become one mind like it talks about in Acts 15, 25. We become one mind. My thoughts are not like his thoughts. My ways are not like his ways. But when I am dependent on him, my thoughts become like his thoughts. My ways become like his ways. Craig Rochelle says it like this. What you fear the most reveals where you trust God the least. What you fear the most, what keeps us up at night, reveals where we trust God the least. Am I seeking his heart in all that I do? Number three is a sensitivity to his spirit. It's being sensitive to the spirit of God. John 14, 27 says like this, I'm leaving you with a gift of peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. Do not be troubled. Do not be afraid. Jesus is offering us a gift of 
peace that this world can't offer. Because when the world talks about peace, they're talking about an absence of conflict. When you tell your kids, give me peace. Give me peace of mind up in here. That's what it sounds like in my house. Peace of mind. You don't need to shut your mouth so I can have some peace. I'm asking for a lack of conflict. I'm asking for an absence of conflict. When I'm seeking the peace of God, godly peace is a confident assurance in any circumstance. It's not an absence of conflict or consequences, but it's, it's, it's a certainty, it's a confidence and an assurance in any situation and circumstance. You may not, be, you may not have chosen the right job yet, but you're walking in confidence in the job that you're in. Because Jesus has given you a peace. You may not have fully reconciled yet with your husband or your wife, but you are working through it together because Jesus has given you both a peace. You may not have all the money you need, but you are walking confidently in it because Jesus has given you a peace. Your son and daughter may not have returned home yet, but you are prayerfully waiting because Jesus has given you a peace that surpasses all understanding because you are sensitive to the indwelling of God's spirit that resides within you. Do you you understand that, my friend? He's not some distance God. He's an up-close and personal God. But Pastor Carl, Pastor Carl, I do what you tell me to do. I did the 21 days of prayer. I joined the small group. I'm trying to read my Bible. I'm on day 14, even though, you know, it's the 2nd of February, but I'm doing better than I did last year. And things still aren't. Going right. Write this next point down. God has a way of bringing good things out of wrong turns. God has a way of bringing good things out of wrong turns. Even though you and I might feel like we're going the wrong way, what's God trying to bring our attention to? To turn us back the right way. When something's wrong with your car, what comes up on your dashboard? Red lights, signals, right? Signals, indicators, indicators. A little gas tank, a little tire thing, or TPST. I don't know what that means on my car, but it's been on for months, right? Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> they should change them from, like, the little pictures and words to just money signs, right? <laughs> One money sign, three money signs. And they're like, oh, I get this. Okay, this is a four money sign. What's wrong with your car? I got a four money sign. <laughs> Fix it. But what are those? They're indicators that something is wrong. They're indicators that something is off, something that needs your attention. Listen to me, somebody. Give me your eyes. I want you to get this. The stress that you might be feeling right now, the anxiety that you might be feeling right now, could that in fact be an indicator of something deeper that's going on that God wants you to address? Could there be something deeper that God's going, I want you to pay attention to this. I'm trying to bring some attention to this because I'm trying to give you some peace that will surpass all understanding and it'll guard your heart, it'll guide your mind and it's gonna, all that's going to happen in Christ Jesus. But you've got to be willing to, 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 to admit there's something going on. You've got to be able to admit that something is going on. And here's the good news, my friends. Here's the good news. That no matter where you find yourself in, no matter what difficulty you might find yourself in, this peace that God offers to you is free. This peace that God offers to you is paid for, and he's trying to work things out for you. Paul wrote this in 
Romans 8. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God works all things. All things God works for the good. He's not trying to trap you. He's not trying to hold you down. He's trying to give you this peace. He's trying to give us this peace that we would be anxious for nothing. I remember hearing this story about uh, this chess master who in between one of his tournaments goes to a museum with a friend. And while he's in the museum with his friend, he comes across this painting. And in the painting, there's a, a, a man who has seemingly lost to the devil. And, and the, the title of it is Checkmate. And as, as the, the, the chess master is staring at the painting, something's not settling right with him. So he tells his friend to keep going and his friend keeps going and he's just sitting there studying it, studying, 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 studying. And after a while, his friend comes back and he's like, what's going on, man? And the chess master says to his friend, we got to get somebody in here because this painting is wrong. They need to either change the painting or change the name. And he's like, what are you talking about? He says, the, the, the name says checkmate and the devil looks like he beat this guy. But the man's king still has another move the game is not over the man thinks he lost but his little king piece still has one more move look at me in the eyes i want you to get this this is good news my friend whatever you find yourself in whatever circumstances got you up at night that's got you anxious your king still has one more move your king isn't sitting idly by. He's still got one more move to, re to redeem you. He's still got one more move to protect you. He's still got one more move to bring you back into the boat. He's still got one more move to give you some peace. He's still got one more move to bring you into the connection with the Father that will surpass all understanding. And when you walk through any trial, any difficulty, the peace of our King Jesus is upon us. And that's good news. We're going to end service today by participating in communion. Communion, I love this because it's, 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 sometimes in church, communion feels like this somber thing where we don't, not supposed to know how I'm supposed to feel while I'm doing it. I, I don't, what am I drinking and all this kind of stuff? Like, what's going on? Who touched these crackers? Like, it's a whole thing, right? <laughs> Easy, germaphobes. Just chill out for a minute. I love communion. You know why I love communion? Communion is a time of celebration. Communion is a time of celebration because you know what happens? When we take the fruit of the vine and we drink it, that represents the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for our sins, that gives us instant access to God the Father forever and ever. Then we eat the bread, which represents his body that was broken for us. It was broken so that we could become together with the Father God forever and ever. It's a celebration of the good news. But here's why I really love communion. Communion, we literally ingest these pieces and you know what happens in that? There is no separation between us and God in that moment. In all moments, but it's, it's, it's a representation that there's no separation. It goes into us. You can't, stress can't get in between the microbes and, and then the atoms. It can't get in there. Jesus is saying, look, when we commune together like this, 
do this in remembrance of me. Remember that I am a God who gives peace in abundance. And every time you do this, remember me. Remember that I love you. Remember that I care for you. Remember that I've got your best in mind. Remember, remember, remember that I will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. So be anxious for nothing. Stop walking around Woe me, woe me. You should walk around and say, yay, Jesus, send me. Thank you, Jesus. And this ain't pastor talk. This is broken believer talk. This is good news. Celebrate this good news. As the ushers come forward, I'm going to tell you this. Those of you who don't know, come forward. That's when I, when I said it, I meant it, ushers. <laughs> As the ushers come forward, like, what does that mean? It means to come forward. That's my fault because I gave him a different explanation earlier. Listen. Those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would tell you just let the... Uh, communion trays go past you because it won't have the same significance for you it really won't you'll just be drinking grape juice and eating crackers that people touch (laughs) but if you do want to have a relationship with jesus so there could be some significance in that we'd love for you to come chat with us in the back and we'll talk about how to make that first big step of faith but but for those of us that know jesus as our lord and savior let us take this time to celebrate Let's take this time to take in this communion and remember that Jesus is offering us a peace that surpasses all understanding to guard our hearts and minds. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we take communion, Lord God, let us remember who we are and who you are. And let this be an act of celebration of the peace that surpasses all understanding. We are sensitive to your spirit. We are seeking your word. We are seeking your heart. Fill us up. In Christ's name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.